This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey, it's time for our in-depth shot-by-shot breakdown of Dune Part 2 Official Trailer 3. If you're joining us for the first time, know that this is the official show of DuneNewsNet.com, where we cover everything in the universe of Dune. This is Marcus, your friendly editor, and I'm here with three Dune and movie fanatics. Hey everybody, it's Garen. Great to be on again. Excited to be here with Mark and Johnny and Marcus. I really like when we go really in-depth and get into all the details, so I'm really excited today. Yes, Johnny Sobchak here again. Excited to have a discussion uh, more in-depth, as Garen said, about the latest trailer. Definitely a lot to talk about, and uh, appreciate you Appreciate you all uh, joining us because it should be a good one. All right. Well, from June Info here, uh, good to be back with the gang again, talking all things June. Um, yeah, hope you've got your still suit on because we're going into a deep dive into the trailer. Dune Movie News. So as mentioned, today we're going deeper into the footage of the official trailer three, and there will certainly be spoilers. So if you haven't already uh, read the original novel or watched its, its previous adaptations, we're going to touch on events from uh, from that. So uh, you've been warned. Um, so yeah, so diving into this uh, this first uh, first trailer, it opens up pretty much where the second one left left off, the one the second trailer that we saw last summer, with Paul uh, looking out um, at a massive explosion on a shield wall. So th the use of atomics is forbidden in Imperium, uh, as per the Great Convention and its rules of uh, warfare. Any house that uses these weapons of mass destruction to target an enemy would face the consequences of being completely wiped out by the, the other houses. In this case, however, Paul is creating a hole in the rock formations surrounding Arakeen. This will allow the Fremen forces to ride in on sandworms. This shot looks uh, different in this trailer, and indeed we see Paul awakening, indicating that this was a dream, just one possible view of the future. He's uh, lying next to Chani, and she's comforting him. This should be somewhere around the middle of the film, where the two of them have already been in a close romantic relationship for some time already. Chani mentions that Paul hasn't had one of these types of intense dreams in a while, which indicates that this could be either the morning before Paul will, will ride the sandworm for the first time, or perhaps even later in the film before one of the other uh, key epic events to, to come. Paul begins to recall his dream and the first shot where we see what appears to be Paul running towards uh, Chani as she stands on top of Sandun. Though this looks different than the previous shots that we've seen here. Again, it's, it could be just one possible future, di different angle, uh, or like a slightly different version of events. Uh, but this could be very well tied to the, um, uh, to the events where there's an attack on the CH, uh, where their first child, uh, Leto, is being safeguarded. Uh, so perhaps they're learning about this this event and attack and they're desperate about it or the two of them um, are arriving but too late and they see the devastation uh, before them. Um, so the, the trailer uh, continues then with a shot of the uh, water of life um, in the in a glass bottle. We've seen this previously in a in another trailer uh, but the water was white uh, clear in that one so whether or not we've now gone from uh, this is the unchanged water and the other one is changed or vice versa or perhaps they've just uh, hadn't finished the special effects and the, the blue is actually a, a visual effect shot. That's unclear at the moment. Uh, we then see um, the Sardu cars um, with the long swords, and this could be them training or maybe a, a last stand. Uh, they're in the Emperor's tent on Arrakis. It's unclear what the uh, planet they're on or, or what they're actually doing there, um, but they seem to be prepared for something. Uh, we then got Irulan, uh, with a metal tube. And if you look closely, there's actually writing on the tube. I've not been able to enhance it <laughs> to read what it says, but she seems to be surprised of the contents of this um, message. This appears to be on Kaitane, uh, but uh, the, it wasn't filmed in Italy. It was at the Labour Movement Museum in Budapest, apparently it was filmed in. So if you're interested, you can you can go and recreate the shot yourself. Uh, then another quick shot of the Empress tent exploding. This is presumably at the end of the, the movie when uh, the Fremen breached the tent. And this is actually very similar to how it's described in the novel with a 40 meter section of the hutment being blasted away um, is how it's described in the in the novel. 
then we've got a very quick shot of Fade. Um, he's in colour in this one, so perhaps not the arena scene, um, but it's very hard to say where in the film this is. Then we've got a, a shot of the Fremen uh, storming the, the Emperor's tent, which is slightly different than the one we've seen in a previous trailer. They've added more special effects. There's fopters in the background. The tent has been rotated, so the Fremen are no longer charging at the tent's entrance. Um, so they were clearly uh, in the process of doing the effects as they were uh, making the trailers. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, like how, how many of these are like just adding effects versus intentionally trying to show different different versions of, of the events that could could be ahead. Yeah, it could be visions or it could be visual effects. Who knows? Okay, well, thank you, uh, Marcus, for assigning me uh, all the scenes with ornithopters in them because that makes me very happy. Um, so my scene starts at 25 seconds in, and this shows uh, a couple of fremen <clears throat> seemingly coming out of the sand uh, around the the base of a of a Harkonnen <clears throat> uh, harvester. Um, this is a great scene, you know, showing the the guerrilla warfare that is this is being inflicted on the Harkonnen spice production. Um, so you hear the the voiceover that's happening right here in this shot is um, is Paul saying presumably to Chani, "You've been fighting the Harkonnens for decades." Then we see a, a shot of Chani with a bazooka. She's pointing it uh, up at a a, 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 a thopter, uh, seemingly a Harkonnen thopter, and Paul's by her side and she's telling him uh, in a loud voice, "Load!" So he's loading this. Uh, bazooka to, to fire at the Harkonnen Thopter. Um, these shots are really amazing. Like the, the special effects and just even the lighting and everything on these on these shots of her. We're seeing her point of view, looking up at this Harkonnen Thopter, and it's just it's just amazingly realistic. The way they they just hats off to the the CGI artists that have done this. We see the the Thopter almost from a close up, almost as if you're sitting in the engine. Uh, we see a fireball explode uh, within this uh, Harkonnen thopter. It pans out. We can see the Harkonnen um, uh, the harvester in the background. That's a shot that actually we've seen before from a little different angle. And then and we see this Harkonnen thopter explode. We see Chani run from the right to the left of the screen. And then we see all the flaming pieces of this thopter fall to the ground. And the that shot is just so realistic. You know, so often my eye will be trained to see something and it's just not very uh, photorealistic. And these pieces of the thopter and some of the blades still spinning is just magnificent. I'm just amazed at this. So what this is establishing for me, uh, Chani is a military leader. She She's commanding, she's aggressive. Uh, Paul's eyes are not blue in this shot. If this is accurate to the film, then this is a little earlier on, and he's learning the ways of, of fighting and the guerrilla warfare they're using against the Harkonnen. Um, but I, I, I love this establishment of fighting the Harkonnen where they're at in the harvesting fields of Arrakis. And you weren't traumatized with the Fopters exploding, Garen? <laughs> no, this is so cool looking. And it's a Harkonnen thopter anyway, Mark. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great points there, Garen. I think uh, your comments about the effects, especially, and just I'm I'm so impressed with the shot design um, and and the shot choice here, especially that that the duration of the shot where you see just presumably Chani with the rocket launcher projectile weapon running as the the thopters collapse and like fall in the background, it's just. <laughs> So well done. Um, and that Maybe leads us into... When it... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but that does lead us into the section here where we have um, that very... It's like a very strong image that's stuck in my mind since we saw it, I believe, in the very first trailer back in May. Um, the, the portrait of Duke Leto uh, burning um, as they talk about, you know, Paul's lineage here coming from great houses and, um, you know, his son of the Duke and all these other things. So just trying to create this contrast between the lifestyle, the lineage um, and really like the social order almost of what Paul's familiar with, what he's grown up with and what his whole family's existed in versus what the Fremen, uh, you know, um, are and, and have existed as on Arrakis. Um, and then there's this beautiful, pretty much a close up here. Um, and the camera kind of gets tighter on Lady Jessica. And she, this is one of my favorite shots in the entire trailer, just because of the, 
the lighting, the costuming, the ma- the makeup. Um, it's just so it's just screams Dune when you look at it, uh, in my opinion. And of course, we know that this is uh, Lady Jessica based on the face tattoos and her eyes being blue and just the overall uh, attire uh, is clearly her as the Reverend Mother, probably in the, the latter half of the film, I would imagine. Um, hard to say exactly what the sequence is. We do see a shot later in the in the trailer that ties into it, it looks like. So we'll, we'll touch on that. But yeah, really love this close up. She doesn't even have to say anything. You just get like a lot of different feelings, I think, um, by looking at her there. Um, and that ties right into pivots into, uh, as I was saying, Chani talking about how all Fremen are equal. Um, you know, there's not this uh, kind of social structure that that she uh, was touching on there. And I think that's an interesting comment um, for a few reasons uh, in terms of kind of the context of, of Fremen society and who leads the Fremen. You know, how does Stilgar get into his position? How does Chani get to her position? Uh, you know, we can talk about Liet Kynes as well, um, kind of being this bridge between, um, you know, the, the kind of feudal houses and the Fremen. Uh, but I love talking about shot design, you know, shot choice this the shot um right after lady jessica's close-up that it's it's a it it, we fade into it so it's hard to say what the shot is you know how it starts uh, in full but the way it it tilts um and goes from being lower on this dune looking up at stilgar to being um a little bit above stilgar and kind of facing him and you see just all these fremen in the background um just uh, totally covering this this dune and and going back i mean it looks like 100 yards if not more and there's multiple you know uh, banners with the Atreides uh, a sigil on it. So um, I love that. This is, I think, our first time, if I'm not mistaken, seeing Stilgar in the full battle um, attire for the Fremen, if I'm, you know, for what they are wearing as they go into the final battle uh, in Arakeen. So that's very cool. And he's holding, you can see maker hooks, it looks like, in one hand. And he's in this really cool, like, crouched position. They just all look awesome. I, I just think the Fremen are, are being uh, handled very well in terms of their capacity in the story and, and just their overall like uh, aesthetic and everything. Um, and then we get one last thing here, I guess I'll touch on is the inside talking about the Fremen culture and how that's looked so far is inside the uh, CH. We have uh, another shot. It's very similar to the shot we saw in the last trailer, um, but it looks like there's this big event gathering ceremony, whatever it may be. Um, but there's a circular uh, open area and then thousands and thousands of Fremen are spread out indoors uh, around the circle. And then there seem to be some, you know, chosen individuals that are actually inside the circle kind of dotting around it. Um, and we've seen, you know, uh, that this seems to be something with Paul, again, not sure if it's kind of a, uh, a formal ceremony, or if it's something that's just kind of being thrown together as they're quickly trying to figure out maybe what to do next. But, you know, we see him there um, crouched. And we also saw in the previous trailer, this may be where he gives some sort of speech or something. Um, I know, it could be also maybe something to do with Jonas. Um, you know, it's not totally clear. But I'm really liking the the look of this. The, again, the the way the light comes through, and it's just all very beautifully done. And I think the way they have kind of continued to improve and tighten up the the coloring and the, the way the light hits and everything, it just looks great. Um, and I think you see that kind of throughout the trailer. Yeah, just one thing about the, the I think the that shot ends with uh, Paul looking at the Fremen, and there's a shot mm-hmm. of a line of Fremen, and the one in the center is listed on IMDb as a huge fighter. So <laughs> whether or not he's going to challenge Paul, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or whether or not he's just going to be a, a key fighter later on in the battle, it's unclear. He's a big dude. <laughs> the, the, this line of Fremen you mentioned, I like that you, uh, thank you for pointing that out. I, th- I mean, they're all, they look formidable for sure. And I think that's great. Um, uh, just establishing again, their presence uh, in this, in this film. Yeah. And I think just in terms of the, the, the placement of uh, Tudor scene. So when we see uh, uh, Stilgar crouching in front of the armies, and I think because we see that, that banner, that's likely them preparing for the final battle where they're going to, you know, come in mm-hmm. riding on the sandworms. And then that, that shot, like in the, circular shot in the siege where, where all the Fremen are, are gathered, it feels like that could be a, a moment where uh, the, the leaders from all the different sieges are, are coming together and uh, important representatives and Paul is being presented as the prophet and he's going to do the speech. And I, I think that's likely, likely the same segment where we're going to talk about later on where, where, where Chani is, is, is uh, giving her, her challenge there. But uh, yeah, it will, it will be interesting to know like how, how late or not that, that in the film is because at, at that point he's pretty established and like all the Fremen know who he is and they're basically uh, going to start worshiping him in a way. 
that transition transitions into my next uh, my next sequence. So this is where I think what's happening is Vilna's making sure that we know that Paul and Shawnee are becoming uh, romantically involved and and falling in love. And I, I've shared this before, but I want to make sure that the pacing of that is done correctly so that it uh, it doesn't feel too soon, um, because the way Chani treats Paul at the end of part one is pretty harsh. Um, she's calling him the little boy and things like that. So, but we see in this shot here, uh, Paul and Chani, they are seemingly alone, uh, at least in, in the angle of the, of the camera and the shot. Uh, and the sequence before was, was Chani talking about how here in the siege, uh, we are all equal. And then I don't know if this is trailer trickery, like Mark says, but then it transitions into Paul saying to Chani, I'd very much like to be equal to you. Um, and then she looks at him with those uh, kind of uh, romantic eyes and says, well, maybe I'll show you the way. And uh, you can tell they're, they're getting close and they're about to kiss. But what I think is interesting is this is a departure from the book. Uh, this, is, this is not the Chani that, that we know from the novel. But I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with it. Uh, that novel was written almost 60 years ago. Uh, we live in a different time, and I think this is an appropriate thing to uh, to shift over that amount of time. Um, and the relationship between these two is really important to the story. Um, I think it will will uh, please the audiences to to see this relationship grow. Um, and and then it also shows that you know Paul is trying to adapt and understand from and culture. So. Um, you know, Paul wants to be a part of this society. He's he's not, unlike the, the Bene Gesserit, he sincerely, you know, wants to be a part of them. And, um, you know, the, the other uh, just attitude in his eyes and his, his countenance of being with her uh, seems very sincere. Um, they, they kiss on the dune and, um, and obviously they, they have a close relationship. I don't know that they would just be you know, kissing moments after killing Jamas and, and, and that relationship being kind of unclear. But I, I like the way we're seeing Paul uh, wanting to be a part of the Fremen culture. And, and even in, in the novel and in, in part one, you know, Liet Kynes says, uh, you know, he will know your ways. So he knows their ways probably because of his prescience, but also because he wants to get to know and understand their culture. And I think in, in Vilna's ver version, we're going to have Chani almost be his mentor in many ways. And I, I actually really like that. Um, I think that creates a nice balance in the story. Yeah, and one of the things I, I noticed in, in a trailer and uh, echoing what, what you're saying, Garen, like th this is like a different perspective of Chani because in the end of the first movie, her, her voice is really rough and feral in a way. And, and here, you, you, you know, it's like re really warm, you know, like she, she's completely let, let her, her guard down and it's like, uh, yeah, re re really like the, the close tone, tone of voice that you would only say that way with, with, with your romantic partner or someone who, who you're really close to. Okay, and then this goes into another beautiful shot uh, of an ornithopter uh, seemingly flying uh, over Arakeen. It appears to be an assault uh, on Arakeen, which I'm going to guess this is this is near the end of the of the movie. Um, but this is a familiar kind of shot where we, um, you know, where we saw ornithopters doing these kinds of movements uh, in in part one. Um, you know, Duncan flying that ornithopter around and the laser, you know, trying to take him out. It, it was kind of reminiscent of that scene. Um, I love the speed. I love the movement. Um, and, and I just think, again, this is hinting at a lot of, a lot of great action sequences that thankfully will include a lot of thopters. And then we see, um, or, or rather we, we hear uh, the voice of the emperor say, deal with the, with this prophet. And, and then we see a, a shot of, of Paul walking toward the camera hooded. Um, I, I can't tell whether his eyes are, are very dark blue or not in that shot. But so, so now we see the emperor again. Um, and um, I just think the, the, the lighting and the, the tone of voice that Christopher Walken is using in this, I just, I just think it's so ominous, so appropriate. 
and he's looking at someone we can't see. It's off screen, someone in, in black clothing of some kind. He's, he's looking at them and he's saying, send assassins. So I know there's been speculation about who he's speaking to. Is he speaking to uh, Reverend Mother Mohayam? Is he uh, speaking to uh, someone else? We don't know. Um, but but I, I think we're just clearly getting, uh, the audience is clearly understanding that the emperor is all powerful. The emperor is uh, devious, manipulative, and downright evil. And, and I think just these, these shots establish that very well. I have a quick question, and this ties back to that Thopter shot, because it definitely appears to be, and even that shot of Paul walking um, it appears to be at the end of the film or towards the end. The battle seems like it's going to go from the daytime into the nighttime. So it seems a pretty extensive um, epic uh, battle in terms of the, the timing. Do we think the Fremen could commandeer some Thopters in this movie? That's my question. Well, if you want my opinion, I, th I think that's a strategy you're going to use, right? You're, it's guerrilla warfare. So anything you can do to not obey the rules of war to try and take out an opponent that far outcommands you in their strength. So I, I just think, yeah, why not? They'd have some thoughts from Gurney's smugglers as well, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it might point. be one of those. That that shot reminds me of the Star Wars trench run, just swooping low <laughs> over the um, the surface of the Death Star. But <laughs> definitely, yeah. I, I I just have to say it, you guys. The the way they are using CGI fire and flame and explosion, it's so good. Amazing nowadays. <laughs> I mean, I'm older than all you. Back in the day, of course, I love the original Star Wars films, but sometimes I it just didn't always feel right or it, it, it was too practical for my liking or something. <laughs> these, these sequences are just mind boggling realistic. I can't get over it. Real quick before Mark moves on uh, to your point, Garen, I totally agree. And I think with Vilna in particular in this, these trailers, Dune part one and uh, Blade Runner 2049, I think the the flames, CGI flames and explosions are so good. And they look so different from any other blockbuster. I don't know what it is. I don't know what magic they're doing at DNEG or whatever the case may be, but it definitely stands out. Um, and I think it looks great. And, uh, you know, even with like something like Oppenheimer this year, where so much focus was on doing like practical explosions and flames and things, and it looks fantastic. And it's certainly its own kind of unique interpretation, I think. Um, it's nice to see something where it, it's not real, but it looks very, very good um, and, and has its own you know, merit. And one quick note on the, on the Emperor. Uh, of course, there's no evidence uh, for that because we, we haven't seen who Tim Blake Nelson is, is playing. We haven't seen him uh, anywhere yet. But in terms of the, the lore, it would make sense that the Emperor is, is, is talking to Count Fenring, uh, mm. assassins, because actually it, it, look, looking at the, the prequels and some of the, the, the other like appendices, like Fenring was the one who did, he, he assassinated a lot of people for, for, the, for the emperor. Um, so I wonder if, if that's what it's going to be, or if it's in this case, you know, if we, if we don't have Fenring, then it's going to be Lady Margot who takes that role of, uh, you know, the, the master of assassins of the of House Carino. Yeah, I think you're right, Marcus. I would put my bet on the Fenrings, one of them. That that's what I think would would happen if if we're staying true to the book. Well, then the the trailer continues, and we're on to Gady Prime, and we have the entrance of Fade, uh, which we've seen in the previous trailers. Uh, the doors opening, and he, he's then picking a blade. So we've got the black and white blades, which is very true, faithful to the book, um, and he picks up the white blade. And it looks like he's about to, to lick it. Um, now, one of the blades should have poison on it. Um, so hopefully he's not licking the wrong blade. Um, but then he then whips his arm around and slices the throat of uh, a Harkonnen servant in the background who's holding a bowl, um, which I'm hoping is not just there to catch her own blood. That would be very dark even for the Harkonnens. Um, the guy on the left um, who's holding the pillow with the weapons on is listed as a uh, weapons master. Not what I was expecting when I saw the credits in IMDb. Um, and the actor who plays uh, the weapons master said it's the most embarrassing costume he's ever worn. But if the scene, the scene should be awesome if it's not uh, cut out the movie. So looking forward to seeing the, the full scene of that. We then jump into the arena and we've got a high angle view of the arena and it's triangular. Again, very faithful to the book. And there seems to be 
tens of thousands of people in there. I've, I've no idea how many. It looks like some sort of huge uh, Super Bowl arena. Uh, Fade battling um, Lieutenant Manville. Um, some of this footage we've seen before. Uh, and then we've then got the finishing move with Lanville on his knees and looks like barbs in his back, which again is faithful to the book. Uh, there's also another dead body on the left-hand side of the screen, so maybe that was a warmer pact or something, I'm not sure. Uh, what is curious is this is a trailer, it's technically F6. There is an F8 trailer, which is the same as this, but instead of the Lanville dying, we've got the shot of Fade holding his uh, blade above his head. So maybe that's for international markets, maybe it's the theatrical one, maybe it's too brutal, um, but it's just a, a curious difference between other, two otherwise identical trailers. But the amount of people in the <laughs> is, is mind-boggling, and, and I, I, I love the scale of that, and just it speaks to the culture of, of, of this city, Harco, and, and, and the culture of the Harkonnen brutality in every sense of the word. And um, if I lived on Giddy Prime, I would invest in barber shops. <laughs> uh, Maybe they're all naturally bald, in which case you'd go out of business pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> no, Garen, I love, as you said real quick, the scale. I mean, we've seen shots of the stadium and of this arena scene um, previously, which are also incredible. But yeah, I mean, definitely get an idea of how big this thing is. And I'd say there's, Based on some of the other shots we've seen too, I mean, there's got to be a couple hundred thousand people in there, probably at least. So it's, uh, and it, I think what you mentioned previously is the shape of the arena itself is accurate to the to the book, which is always a nice touch. Then we see uh, Paul. He's uh, overlooking the, the ocean, uh, which is most likely uh, Caldon, the world where he spent the first 15 years of his life. And this isn't an event that actually happens in the present or perhaps in never happens in the future either. As Paul mentions in the narration, he's seeing many possible futures. Uh, we then see what will likely be part of the lead up uh, to the fight between Gurney Halleck and the beast, Raban Harkonnen. This is a bitter feud uh, at the most personal level imaginable. It was uh, due to the Harkonnens that Gurney lost everything, including his sister. Even that, that scar on, on his, his cheek is a result of uh, torture at the hands of Raban's inkvine whip. It's, it's payback time for sure. And uh, Paul says that there's um, endless uh, future paths. You know, most of these will result in the destruction of, uh, of Paul and the remnants of House Atreides and the Fremen uh, at the hands of their, their many enemies. And they have many enemies. You know, it's, it's House Krino, uh, House uh, Har Harkonnen. Uh, there, there's the, the, the Bene Gesserit who want to control him and, you know, all the, all the other factions. Um, but th there are a few possible futures present which um, offer a narrow path, he described it, uh, that would allow them to get through that storm. And it looks like Paul is uh, definitely going to force his way through that uh, path with uh, desert power. Yeah, what's uh, curious is um, the the stuff about the narrow future. That's that's something that's a very key point in Dune Messiah, and less so in the original Dune book. So whether or not... Uh, Villeneuve is planting the seeds for hopefully a part three. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, it's having just recently reread Messiah for various reasons. It's it's um, something that's very core to that book. Yeah, and uh, I I agree with you there, Mark. I think it's a interesting choice of words for sure. Um, and talking about a narrow way through that, I think it's a nice segue in terms of the trailer structure into. Our first true glimpse, I mean, we've seen the worms in part one. We've seen some worm action in the previous trailers. But um, we get to see this kind of massive starter car uh, with a shot kind of from behind them as this cloud approaches. And then uh, we get to see kind of a close-up of some of them looking upwards. Um, right as, out of this this cloud, uh, yeah, Shai Halud just appears. And it's such an interesting, it's almost dreamlike. I mean, that's, that's a, one way I would describe the actual... Uh, kind of composition and the movement uh, in this scene. It'll be very interesting to see like in the uh, context of the movie. I assume it's almost like a um, this is obviously a pretty big reveal um, but it's just so it's so epic <laughs> and, and I love the uh, something you'll see in some of these subsequent shots is just the point of view and the perspective that they use um, in terms of the uh, Sardaukar point of view and then from the worms or the Fremen on top of the worms coming in. So 
this great reveal of the worm here, of course, looking over the shoulders of the Sardaukar. Um, and then we get, I love this, uh, the following shot where some of them are like, you know, standing fast and they have their swords up. And then some of them are just, they're slowly, but surely like starting to realize like, eh, I probably can't, you know, fight a sandworm. Uh, you know, I can't one-on-one -on -one a sandworm. So I'm going to go ahead and turn and run, um, and see what's going to happen next. But then it, it comes into this great shot, very quick shot of, um, some of the Fremen being revealed on top of the worm. So that's obviously a key point there. That's how they use, you know, the worms for transportation. In this case, they're using it like a, a troop carrier almost, um, which I think is fantastic. And of course, very true to the book. Um, and then we have, uh, as it continues here, we have a, talking about point of view and Greg Frazier and Villeneuve are always so good about this, but there's this very quick shot as the camera is like almost flying over the Sardaukar and they look like little ants, like dart darting around on the ground. Um, and of course, this is essentially from the worm or the fremen on top uh, as they crash down in this next shot, which is, I mean, there's so many great shots in this trailer and so many great moments that people have, have really fixated on. But I think these these three worms emerging um, and just crashing into the sand as the Sardaukar run away uh, for m many reasons is uh, has been one that people just are really in love with. And I think it just is so... It's so Dune. It's just so when you think of the book or when you think of previous adaptations or what you want to see in an adaptation, this is pretty high up on the list, uh, I think, for most folks. Um, and again, talking about the VFX, I mean, the physics of the sand <laughs> when this worm goes crashing in and just the weight and the speed of the worms in relation to their, their you know, size. It's fantastic. Um, it, it's so, so well done. Um, and then we, we kind of pivot <clears throat> as we move away from the worms, we go to Getty prime once again, again, talking about scale, talking about, you know, a number of people in a shot, uh, thousands of, of, uh, Harkonnen seem to be inside of this kind of great hall, um, scene. And it definitely uh, ties in and is, is in line with what we've seen from the Getty prime and Harkonnen architecture so far. Uh, it has that kind of, uh, rib cage skeletal like, uh, design lots of arches and kind of rows of arches. Um, but this is uh, in terms of the actual room, it looks like something we have not seen before, um, which is great. And then again, with all these people in there, it looks like some sort of celebration, some sort of ceremony, maybe uh, for fans of the book, you'll know that the uh, Getty prime sequence with the arena scene, the gladiator fight is basically a celebration of Fade Ralta. It's his birthday, um, kind of a coming of age uh, moment for him. Um, and I presume that this is probably right afterwards. And and speaking of ceremonies and uh, kind of passing of, of the guard, uh, we do know that Raban is in charge of uh, Arrakis after the events of part one. Um, and in the last trailer, early on that trailer, and what we think is a scene that's pretty early in the movie, even before the title card comes up, we have Raban being given uh, the essentially the keys <laughs> to the kingdom on Arrakis from uh, the Baron. We saw the Baron on suspensors. If you look really closely in the shot, in the dead center in the back, you can see the Baron uh, also, again, with the same machine, the same suspensors. And he seems to be doing something very similar with Fade. Um, and you, you get this quick cut of Fade himself uh, on stage or on this platform, seemingly. And he's wearing an identical outfit, identical garb to what Raban is wearing in that, that earlier scene. So... Um, yeah, definitely seems like a big moment for Fade, and I love uh, just the expression on his face in this. I don't know what it is about it. He does this kind of like big inhale, um, like he's uh, Austin Butler, like he's kind of like you know trying to take in the moment or like uh, you know give off this aura of uh, you know importance and, and uh, grandiosity. So I really love what I'm seeing from Butler so far um, and what they're doing with Fade. I think it looks great. Um, I think more time on Getty Prime uh, is certainly appreciated as well. And then from there we cut into. When one of, again, the more epic, uh, you know, lauded over shots in, in the trailer. It's very quick, but I, what I love about this shot, it's the Emperor's ship, seemingly very reflective, same shape and essentially size as what we saw in previous shots on Arrakis. Um, and also what we saw of the Emperor's Herald in, in part one. Um, but you just see, I mean, the, talking about, again, physics and effects. I mean, just the, <laughs> the way it's burnt, it's like the, the, the fire, the heat uh, as it comes into the atmosphere. I mean, the stars in the background that you can see dotting, you know, space and, and there's the moon seemingly uh, kind of silhouetted there. And then, of course, like the Arrakis, like surface below. It's so good. And I think what's really cool about this is it kind of <clears throat> one of the things that I really liked. And I think a lot of people liked about the original opening of part one with Duncan 
was that we were going to get to see Duncan above Arrakis. We get to see Arrakis from space and we get this really cool sequence of him uh, basically diving down, like free falling and getting to see, um, you know, what that looks like. And, and, you know, Dune for a, a space saga, there's not really a lot of space that you get to see or interact with in the story or, you know, it's not really a big part of it in terms of the actual uh, events or certain sequences. Um, but I think getting this perspective and getting that shot, I think is, is really cool to see. Um, and again, it kind of throws back to that opening sequence that we, we never got with Duncan. So um, I, I love that. And uh, that also goes into this next moment where Paul asks Trani if she believes in him. Um, <laughs> I'm getting really like toxic, uh, like boyfriend vibes <laughs> from this moment for, for, you know, certain reasons. Um, uh, most notably that, you know, he wants her to believe in him, but maybe not for the reasons that maybe Chani would think that that she should be believing in him. So, um, you know, do you believe me in, in someone that can, you know, protect your people and serve your people and, you know, get rid of the Harkonnens? That's probably what she's thinking. Um, but, you know, him as the chosen one or him as someone that's going to uh, kind of open up uh, the universe to uh, some some not so good things. I think that that's a very interesting moment there. Uh, and again, that's them. It seems like in the tent. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly what we were seeing in the earlier part of the trailer in the opening, but um, definitely again more intimate moments between Paul and Chani. I think are appreciated, and and we're getting to see that dynamic uh, continue to grow there. Uh, I was just going to say in the um, in the scene with the Baron in the background, we think we can see the Baron there. I'm just wondering if we're actually going to see Fufa at any point in this um, movie, because we've not seen him in any of the trailers, and in fact his name has disappeared off the credits, uh, still on IMDb, but on the official credit strip uh, on posters and stuff like that, and at the end of the trailer as well. So maybe his role has been drastically reduced i'm not i'm not sure but in theory he should be there because there's plots within plots to do with the uh weapons uh, the slave master for the gladiator arena scene um so hopefully he's going to turn up at some point yeah thufir is such an important part of the whole plot uh reveal in 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 the book um it'll be interesting to see how that plays into it just one quick call out you guys i, I have to I have to bring your attention uh, to the bravest Sardaukar in the Imperium. If you if you look at uh, shot one minute, 30 seconds in, so like Johnny described, the three sandworms have come through the dust cloud. There's this one Sardaukar right in the middle of the screen in the lower part. He is not giving up. He is going to take out that worm. All the other guys are smarter than that. They're like, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> He's staying, holding, holding firm. <laughs> Reminds me, is it Dak in Empire Strikes Back who says he can take on the Empire all by himself? Uh, he, he's that Sardaukar. <laughs> he's yeah. Maybe he's not the smartest Sardaukar of the troop, but he is. He is take. He's going to take him out. <laughs> yeah, and th thinking of the, the point about uh, uh, the perspective of, of Chani and like uh, her believing in, in Paul, I'm wondering if th this moment is and. If that ties into to, to what we're thinking about, you know, them, them losing a child, if this is happening after that, and you know, like Chani's devastated about that, and you know, like she she's already doesn't believe in the prophecy, and they've lost their child, and I, I can imagine this is a very difficult moment in in their relationship. So really uh, interesting to see how that plays out and that that further interaction. Yeah, uh, the trailer continues uh, with a shot that appears to be outside a siege. And there's uh, a mass, a crowd of Fremen outside some giant doorways. Um, and we then see Paul walking through um, figures. So this appears to be the same sort of shot we saw in a previous trailer where we saw a top-down shot and it looked like pebbles or sand as Paul is moving through the Fremen. So I think this is a the scene where Paul is going to speak to all the Fremen leaders, uh, which we saw earlier in the trailer, presumably. And is he... Uh, looks like as he gets to the doorway, we see all the Reverend Mothers, um, which when we first saw them in a previous trailer, I thought they were the Reverend Mother and maybe the Sayadinas. Uh, but now I think this is a gathering of all the Fremen uh, tribes. Uh, so these would be, in my opinion, all the Reverend Mothers um, from all the other Seachers with Jessica in the middle. Uh, we then get the Reverend Mother, um, Mohaim, uh, the real Reverend Mother, not a Fremen Reverend Mother. Um, and I think this is the... Uh, 
one of the first times we've seen her. She's not been in any of the other trailers. Uh, and she says, uh, this is a form of power that our world has not yet seen, the ultimate power. Uh, so presumably she's talking about the Kwisak Haderach here. Uh, who she's talking to, it's it's not clear where she is or who she's speaking to. Uh, there's a very quick shot of Irulan, um, and Irulan's wearing the same garb as we saw her in the uh, Kaitane Gardens at the start, so presumably that's from a, an earlier shot. Uh, and then we see another shot that we've seen before, which has someone, Paul, Aaliyah, uh, take your pick, walking in front of a erupting sandworm. It certainly looks more like Paul in, in this trailer uh, than anyone else, uh, unless anyone has new other opinions on who it is. <laughs> I agree, Mark. I think it looks more like Paul. I don't know if maybe it's some, some of the uh, imagery was altered, but it looks more like Paul than it did in the previous one. And, and that, yeah. that shot about uh, Irland in the garden and potentially that, that shot where we see the close-up of her, of her face being, uh, you know, earlier than that or, or after that. I, I know that when, when they filmed the scene, that there, was, there was some mention that, that they did see, um, you know, people dressed in black robes. So it's, it's very possible that the Bene Gesserit do come to Kaitain. And, you know, before or after Irland is in the garden, she has a conversation with presumably Reverend Mother Mahaim or, or one of the other Bene Gesserit. Then we see what happens to be that um, Harkonnen attack on, on a CH. Uh, that's potentially the one I was uh, thinking that it could be where Chani and Paul's first child is, is being being kept safe, uh, presumably away from, from the main main conflict. But uh, yeah, like they the, their enemies have discovered the, the location and targeted that or, or whether it's by chance. Um, and we have uh, Paul telling uh, Chani, I will love you as long as I breathe. So we heard that in an earlier trailer, but it was out of context. And we now understand that where this is happening. So this is, uh, you know, the moment in one of the very last scenes of the movie. The the attack on Arakin has, has happened, and um, they're they're in the, in, the, in a great great hall. And uh, Paul is, is going to take control as uh, as the emperor, but he has to secure his, his position by uh, marrying Princess Irlan. And so here he is. He's addressing Chani, and he's letting her know that you know his heart uh, truly lies lies with her. So even though he's going to marry uh, Irlan. He's, he's going to love love Chani as long as he breathes. So that uh, makes more sense now. And then we see uh, uh, Gurney, who's been uh, active on Arrakis for several years, uh, together with smugglers, and they're raiding the Harkonnen spice operations. This may be the the same like that same scene, like the moment before he's reunited with Paul. Um, how it works out in, in the book is that the Fremen actually set up a trap for the Harkonnens, but then it's actually the smugglers that take time to to play the, to fall into that uh, that trap. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, like, if they they change that, that scene anyway, and whether it's maybe like the the Fremen and the smugglers attacking Harkons at the same time, or, or how that works. And then uh, we see um, that shot inside the siege, uh, presumably that, that same one that was was attacked, and we saw the explosions in the wall, and we see that the the, the roof and the walls are, are crumbling over one of the the, the water caches, and we know that uh, this is part of the, the Fremen dream, as as mentioned by by Leah Kynes. The the Fremen have thousands of these, these caches with, you know, immeasurable amounts of water that they've been uh, gathering over generations. And their, their dream is to um, eventually turn all of Arrakis uh, green and, and make it a paradise that they'll be able to live in. The water uh, is interesting, obviously, in the context of the plot and like the story, as you were, as you were saying there, uh, Marcus, but also as like a visual motif, I think, throughout these two films. Um, you know, that's something they kind of go back to. And obviously, the presence of water on Arrakis has been very limited, at least in part one. So to see so much water is pretty, pretty, um, you know, shocking, at least to the eye. Just kind of like in that first uh, scene where they go to the uh, the laboratory in part one and you see like green on the screen for the first time in like an hour. <laughs> and it's just like uh, a rush uh, to the, the senses. But um, that scene uh, in the context of the trailer here leads right into this Great moment. Again, there's so many great moments in here and people have been talking about a lot of them, but this is straight out of the book and also the Dune, uh, the Dune adaptation uh, from the 80s where you have this moment of, uh, you know, Reverend Mother Mohayim, you know, trying to talk sense into Paul um, here towards the end of the film. And uh, yeah, Paul's not having any of it. So we get to see him really for the first time uh, effectively uh, in, in true like commanding fashion, use the voice. Um, and you know, he says silence and it's it, the sound effects, the way that they designed the voice in these 
films is so good, uh, so well done. And I think this moment really stands out in the trailer and just continues to show kind of the way Paul's changed and the way he's grown, um, you know, from where, where we saw him start at the the breakfast table in part one. I think it's just such a such a great moment. Um, and uh, and sounds really good, too. So we have that. And then we get this moment. It, 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 they like like this kind of reaction shot they put in almost uh, after Reverend Mother kind of falls back. We have uh, Chani uh, seemingly on edge, and I'm sure there's this is where they're kind of getting into the whole discussion of what's about to happen next. Um, but as a little reaction to the the silence moment, I thought that was pretty clever. Um, and then that leads us back into you know talking about the end of the movie and the effects and the way that these explosions and everything are rendered. I mean, this epic, it, it's like a blink and you'll miss it thing, but this, it looks like almost like a natural disaster. This, <laughs> the scope of this like explosion or uh, eruption basically where you have all these fragments and all these pieces and it flying through the air of rock and other debris and then flames. And it's so impressive. And it's presumably this has to be in my mind, someone will chime in obviously if they think it's something else, but this is probably as a result of the shield wall being blown up. I mean, some of these rocks and fragments are probably from the shield wall. Um, they're raining down on the Sardaukar. car. The Sardaukar car having a bad time. This is <laughs> the worst time. They're basically being, you know, put into extinction here. Um, and it starts with the uh, use of atomics. And again, I talked about Oppenheimer earlier and the way, you know, nuclear devices are interpreted and depicted in film and television. Um, this looks pretty like, you know, doomsday-ish in terms of the effects. And I, I think the effects and the visual effects, I think, are are working together really well here. So I thought that looked awesome. And it also makes you think in the context of the story and the film, you know, we see Paul out on this, this rock uh, formation looking at the explosion happen. And then we know that the worms are going to have to come in after that, right, to attack and, and uh, take advantage of that. So I'm like... And how is Paul factor? We see Chani, we see Stilgar involved with that. We know there's like a ground troop, you know, battle that takes place before that. So and this last hour plus of the movie is going to be really um, interesting and, and it'll be packed with action. But I think in terms of the individual players, you know, Paul's out on the periphery. We know Fade and, you know, uh, the Baron and the Emperor. They're not like on the battlefield, you know. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate and kind of cut back uh, between all these different players that, that they have to keep track of. Um, so that'll be very interesting. And we see Paul again, kind of before the battle, you know, rallying everyone. Um, and that leads into uh, basically not nothing new from that sequence, but I think the way that they're tying it in, in this trailer, I think is just a reminder, like, yeah, Paul is like running this whole operation. He really has like the entire fervor of the Fremen, you know, behind him. Yeah. Just on that, the uh, in the book, Frank Herbert is is uh, never really interested in describing the battles, so it'll be interesting to see just how much poetic license Manuv has to adapt that epic end battle. Uh, most of the battles are something's about to happen, something's happened, and all the stuff in the middle is up to your imagination, and we're we're actually going to see that on screen finally. And just going back to uh, the stuff with the the uh, siege seemingly collapsing on the water cache. If we see the destruction of that, we need to have that scene established earlier on in the movie. So I'm wondering if we're going to see Jamis's water measured out into that cache earlier on, because otherwise mm-hmm. it would it wouldn't make sense to see that place destroyed. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Jamis's funeral, I, I imagine, would be. I think it, for any book reader, we'll, we'll be hoping to see that you know done justice. And I, I, the water element of that, I think, yeah, will definitely be important, uh, Mark. Yeah, because in the first trailer, we did see one shot, what appears to, uh, like them potentially going to one of those water caches. So whether it's the same one or not, we don't, we don't know, but like it's they, they should be setting that context. That goes to my next sequence, uh, which is, uh, this is kind of angry Chani here. She's... Uh, Standing up, uh, this uh, is, appears to be inside one of the sieges. Uh, we saw the shot earlier from a much higher perspective. Uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of Fremen here. And, and she's, she's yelling, this prophecy is how they enslave us. Um, so she's obviously addressing all of them about the, the Bene Gesserit um, Missionaria Protectiva program. I don't know. She's probably not going into that level of detail, but that's what's that's what she's referring to. Um, 
and then she's storming away. I, I can't tell exactly who she's walking away from. Um, looks like possibly Stilgar, but I can't tell. And then she's extremely upset. Uh, you know, she's pulling her, her hood back, walking away. Uh, just I can tell by her body language that she is really upset about this. Um, so I'm, I'm just assuming, again, that now... In, in her position as a military leader, uh, as, as a well-respected person within the siege, um, that she is trying to make sure that her, her family, her society, the Fremen understand what's going on here. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how Vilnov's going to play this out with uh, Paul being uh, blended into this part of the story, um, but, but we do establish the fact that Chani is a, a very important and formidable uh, leader and character among the, the Fremen people. So um, it should be interesting to see how this uh, this kind of pans out. And then we have uh, one one sequence that actually kind of resembles uh, Liat Kine's, uh death sequence in part one, uh, where we see someone standing on a dune with a, a, a worm coming uh, the, the sand and the dust is coming up. The, the worm is coming towards this person. They have their maker hooks out. Um, I can't tell. I've looked at it a few times if, if this is that same sequence with Paul earlier or if this is perhaps Chani. I, I can't I can't tell. Maybe you guys have an opinion on that. But again, it's that same sequence we saw with Leah Kynes where it's the camera's behind her. She she puts out her maker hooks and they kind of they kind of lock in place. And, and then we know what that means. Uh, probably to the people who watched part one at first, they weren't totally clear what that meant as Leah Kynes did that. Um, we know what that means. We know mm-hmm. what that's indicating. Um, and then we start moving into uh, a bunch of uh, worms coming coming toward Arakine. So anyway, uh, again, this is about Chani and, and about what she is trying to make sure her people understand. Yeah, Garen, to your point about that, I love the, this pair of shots uh, with the maker hooks and this person waiting for the worm, especially the one from behind where you just see, I mean, it's expansive desert, these huge dunes, the Fremen in the foreground, and then obviously the uh, approaching worm in the distance. I think it's, it's really striking. But yeah, I think definitely a different sequence from what we saw in previous trailers with Paul doing his first worm, worm ride, presumably. Um, and I think based on the body type and just these couple quick shots, I would think it's Chani, but yeah, it's hard to say. And who knows exactly again what the context uh, of this is. Yeah, it could, could be uh, Chani when she she learns that uh, Paul is in a coma after taking the water of, of life himself, or or maybe she doesn't learn that, but she she's called uh, and she knows that some, something's wrong. So that could be her, her, her like rushing to me by, by Paul's mm. side. Yeah, but yeah, good idea. Going, going to the... To this this line about Chani, I mean that that's like ignited a lot of uh, discussions online, and that's de- definitely a, a key key moment. I mean, we we really seen that uh, Chani is definitely like opposed to the to the prophecy, and she even like say, says to Paul about uh, you know as as long as you you I love you as long as you remain you. But it's it's clearly that that there's the, that duality, the tension. You know, she she loves Paul, but she's extremely concerned about uh, the prophecy and the impact that, that it has on her pe- people. And this is very different from, from the book. In like uh, in the first book, there, there's no uh, there, there's no Chani or even like like um, any other in, indication of people close to Paul that are uh, doping in, in, in this way. So uh, yeah, interesting to, to to hear uh, the others' thoughts as well on, on that point. I'd like to just add quickly. I, I think what's happening. I remember when I first read Frank Herbert's novel, and I, I was 14. So you got to remember that part, but. I, I, the whole, the whole prophecy and the planting and the missionary protectiva, all of that was a little bit over my head. I, I wasn't totally tracking the fact that this was a, a formulated and executed plan by the Bene Gesserit. Um, eventually, probably in my second reading of the novel, when I was a couple years older, it, it all clicked into place for me. But I think that's interesting that Villeneuve is is really bringing that out and emphasizing that part. In fact, even in part one, when uh, Lady Jessica and Paul are first getting in the, the thopter when they first arrive on Arrakis, and and there's this interchange, you know, you know, between the two of them, and 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 Paul is saying to Lady Jessica, "No, they're just doing that because that's what they're told to believe." And 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 when I first saw that in part one, I was like, 
that's pretty soon to be bringing out that plot line. Um, I, I, I wondered if that was a little too soon even. Um, but now we see in part two with this uh, sequence and statement by Chani that this is this is a major part of the story, or at least a significant part of the story that Villeneuve is bringing to the surface so that the audience realizes this is a manipulation, a one of many by the Bene Gesserit, and just on a, on a large societal scale among the Fremen. And I just think that's an interesting uh, sort of shift or development from, from what I remember in my first reading of the novel. The trailer continues with a shot we've seen before of Paul shouting at Chani. Uh, in the other uh, trailer, Chani was up on the dune and they've edited uh, it in this trailer. So we cut to a shot, a great looking shot of Chani riding a sandworm. Uh, maybe that's, as Marcus suggested, Chani going to the siege um, to see Paul. Who knows? Uh, more shots of uh, Saldakar's having a really bad day again. Um we saw this in Lynch's Dune. Unfortunately, there was there was no CGI back in uh, for Lynch's Dune, and it was all practical. And much as I love Lynch's Dune, this is looking better <laughs> than the effect, the nineteen eighty four effects ever did. Uh, more shots of Fremen with the uh, holding the uh, Trades flag, which is uh, in elements of the Fremen culture in there as well. It's uh, the Fremen uh, browns and oranges, uh, some other logos on there. Uh, more Thopters being shot down, uh, but the Harkonnen Thopter, so that's probably all right for, for Garin. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that they've shown as much as they have of the, the big battle. Um, obviously, they, they want to get people in and excited with the trailers. Um, certainly, uh, I think Dune fans are excited, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure if we think that they've perhaps shown too much. Mark, I've thought about that, honestly. Um... I mean, to declare this is an epic war movie, your trailer better depict the fact <laughs> it's an epic war movie, right? Um, <laughs> but but I, I'm a little bit torn, Mark, because the, the reveal of Villeneuve's vision of what Frank Herbert never described in the novel, I, I would think that would be kind of what you would want to save for the experience of that of that. Uh, two and three quarters film, uh, hours film. I, I, I don't know if, because because trust me, I'm loving all the Thopter shots and I'm digging all that. But is it is it kind of revealing the scale too soon? Or, or maybe this is just the tip of the iceberg and we'll be blown away when we see it in IMAX. Who knows? I hope you're right. Yeah, that's that's kind of my feeling. Is I, I remember people having the same discussion about part one. Um, which ended up not being an issue for most people. I felt like, like when that you got the shot from behind uh, Paul and Gurney looking down at the sandworm, like, Oh, they showed like the big, like money shot of the sandworm or, you know, the one where the, the sandworm pulls up on Jessica and Paul, like in the nighttime and they're like, Oh no, like the sandworm. But like, I think in the context and especially that harvester scene, I mean, we saw some good images and, and shots of that, uh, but seeing it in context in full, like in a, in a theater, especially an IMAX theater, there's like no comparison. Like every time I watch it, like my blood just <laughs> gets gets going. So it's, I think it's, I agree uh, on some points with that just because it's like, well, if we could, well, if we could all go in blind, if we had the self-control not to watch these tra trailers, then that's what we would do, right? But um, I think for me, we've read the books, you know, context is everything. And I think seeing on the big screen especially matters a lot too. And I think it's worth pointing out, at least in my opinion, that, Every single shot, especially in this trailer that we've gotten of the final battle or the worm action, especially, is like my jaw is like on the floor. <laughs> and like, I'm so amazed and impressed, as we've all said at this point, that I mean, if this if this battle is really going to be 30 minutes plus or something like that, it's going to be I mean, imagine all that footage that's in there that we're probably going to see and be, you know, blown away by. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I, I hear people when they say that and I, I certainly understand that, but. Personally, I don't mind. And then we have that uh, very, uh, very last scene in, in, in this trailer, which is a figure walking out into the desert. Yeah, and then, of course, we have that, uh, that final um, line that's narrated. You are not prepared for what is to come. And I feel like in context of the trailer, that's, that's speaking to us and like everybody who's, who's looking forward to, to this movie. Uh, but in, in the, the story itself, you know, th there are all these, these possible, uh, possible futures. And, 
you know, for, for the people experiencing this, this, you know, there, there's, there's so much that, that, uh, that lies, lies ahead that you just can't, can't fathom it. You, you can't imagine it. Um, and as far as who's saying this, this line, there, there, there's a couple of, um, options. I mean, to be honest, if I compare like the voice of, of this to the, to the other female characters who we've heard already, like, I don't make a direct connection, but again, this is a trailer and it could be modifying things. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to go with Aaliyah. So, so I, I think because we, we, we had, um, uh, in, in the in the episode that's going to be coming soon, where, where we were talking about the the first ten minutes of the movie, and we know that uh, Paul Paul was was talking to uh, his unborn sister, uh, so I, I can imagine that he's setting up some some future uh, interaction with, with with her as well. Yeah, certainly. Uh, if you listen to some of the alternative uh, language dubs of the trailer, um, there is a difference between. Um, the last line and Jessica's voice in in the Indian one, I think Jessica's got quite a deep voice, and in the the last line sounds more like Chani on the Indian one. Um, so yeah, if if you're convinced it's a certain character, I'd recommend you listen to other language ones and, and see what you think of that. But again, trailer trickery is always an option. <laughs> yeah, apparently the Brazilian version, like in Portuguese, it, it sounded more like a child. So apparently so, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> that's that's putting it out there marcus uh, that's that's a bold that's a bold <laughs> thing i i i hope you're right i mean it would make sense to have Aaliyah say that it, i mean if she's yeah. going to be the character she is in the book in that latter part of the 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 final part of the, the movie uh the, the last section anyway um it would make sense to have her hinting at what's to come and then this shot of him of paul walking into the desert i mean that's clearly hinting at, at Messiah. So yeah, um, guys, I, I'm just going to be, I just don't know how we, we don't have a scenario where, where we have Messiah. I just can't, I can't see it. It's just a case of how long do we have to wait? That's true. Yeah. We've got to wait for Mama and a few other movies to get made. Don't we? Yeah. I, I think uh, though, to everyone's point, <clears throat> I am more and more, convinced though that it might be Aaliyah saying that line at the end um I think that uh that would make a lot of sense in the context of this movie but also of course a Dune Messiah adaptation so yeah I, I think everyone's like freaking out like the book fans like where is she where is she and like you know how are they gonna you know create her how is, that, how is she gonna be used or factored into this story and I think I'm not worried about that like we know she's in there obviously um but I am very excited and I think that's one great thing that they have not like budged on at all so far is showing or even really hinting at so much um, her role and even just her presence in the movie. Okay. Well, hashtag where's Thufir? That's, that's all I have. <laughs> He's hanging out with Aaliyah, I think. And the Count Fenring. They're all having a party with Elvis. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think as, as we discussed earlier, it, it's possible that, you know, we may not see much of Aaliyah just because of the, the practical thing of her being a, a child and, you know, it's difficult to, um, to to have that work well in the movie. But I think that her presence is going to be deeply felt. I mean, if we if we know that, uh, you know, what was happening in those, those early scenes, I think Villeneuve is definitely going to want to connect this uh, uh, to Dune Messiah. So she'll have like a presence the, the same way that uh, that Irlan is going to have a presence uh, um, throughout the movie as well. So, yeah, that was our uh, shot by shot um in-depth breakdown of uh, Dune Part 2 official trailer 3 here on Dune Talk. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, sign off for today. Um, well, it was great fun to spending over an hour talking uh, Dune with you all. So thanks for having me back. Uh, if anyone wants to follow me, I'm Dune Info on all the socials. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, it was a great conversation as always. And again, we don't know how many trailers we have left, uh, if any. So, you know, we're really on the home stretch and, uh, I think everything so far points to uh, a lot of reasons to be excited. So follow me on uh, X, Letterboxd, uh, at Johnny Sobchak. You can find me there. And uh, looking forward to the next show. Thanks for watching. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And hey, listen, we we are big, huge Dune fans, but we may not get everything right. So please uh, make, uh, make comments or give us your opinions if we've got something wrong or you see it a different way in the comments. Um, just appreciate the support. And, and uh I'm, I'm more excited now than when we first started talking. So let's go. Uh, th this is uh, Marcus Gabriel. And uh, yeah, you can find me writing at dunewsnet.com. And at Marcus is, is writing on, on X. And yeah, there, there's 
that, that definitely going to be a lot more to, to talk about in the coming weeks and months uh, as, as the movie approaches. And I, I have to say it, you are not prepared for what is to come. So for now, take care. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to dunenewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.